I want to win again for sure, but like my next goal is, is Bathurst. Now that uh, emphasis on that raises and I need to try and get that done. When I first took over the team at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, uh, weren't especially rosy, but we managed to win a, a race with Chaz Mostert that year in, in July and I thought, gee, this caper's bloody easy. Hey, I'm David Reynolds from Penrite Racing and this is Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. It's our pre-Pukakoi round, round uh, uh, event and uh, plenty of things to take through and it's been a fascinating week. Little developments, Craig, that uh, just uh, turn that little twist like the Bathurst start time. That's a strange one, isn't it? Is indeed, because uh, they've moved it now to 11.30. For people who just want to get there for the day, though, I think they will like the latest start time. Uh, obviously, if it uh, has a lot of delays and stoppages to the race, then it's going to go into the night. And as uh, Tim Edwards is happy to repeat the numbers of how many people were watching when Chas Mostert and... Paul Morris took the victory because it was well into the uh, 6 o'clock prime time viewing slot. So uh, it's all about finishing it, you know, as close to quarter to six as possible so that they can still have the podium in the telecast. And uh, the race is getting faster. So naturally enough, the race gets faster. You don't need to start it at 10 o'clock in the morning as we did when certainly I was growing up as a kid. Indeed, and... uh... Earliest start in 57 years. It's extraordinary, isn't it? You know, um, Latest, you mean? Of the race starting at that. Sorry? Latest start. Oh, sorry, the latest start. Yeah, not the earliest start at all, I'm sorry, yes. Um, it just seems an extraordinary thing to have the start so late at 11.30. At, uh, but, you know, I mean, it'll be uh, interesting to see the build-up they have. It's uh, normally been pretty well done. Uh, um it just, I suppose, gives anyone who has a, a, a Bargs moment in uh, the uh, uh, early morning warm-up <laughs> that bit of extra time. But no point reflecting on problems of past years. The week had a bit of a twist in it with a number of things happening. One was the mega fallout. Uh, mega being the uh, fuel supplier that had been a sponsor for the uh, Walkinshaw group. Um, and that's pretty sad, really, for that team to have come across this sort of summer. They've got enough problems as it is <clears throat> without having a, a sponsor going in, into liquidation. Yeah, I'm sure you'd agree there. It will make um, things interesting. Mobile One Racing has taken over the mantle on the Walkinshaw Andretti United cars. And it also is a hole that they'll have to fill in the budget and... Uh, this year, their results haven't been where they expected. So it means that when they're going out to the marketplace, it gets harder and harder to sell it at the price that you want to sell it at, let alone the price you need to be able to uh, break even in supercars in 2019. Indeed. The other thing that broke news around Walkinshaw was the sponsor for their wildcard entry, which is the Alexander Rossi and James Hitchcliffe car, which is terrific to have an international car back in the series. It's been the last time one I really remember was the Triple Eight one with uh, uh, Priu and the Swedish, I can't remember his name now. Ericsson. Yeah, a very fast car, fantastic. And, you know, the, potentially this one will be fast, even though they're not touring car drivers. But uh, wonderful to uh, have a wildcard entry of international standing. 
It uh, is all part of this build-up to Pukekohe, which is race 23 and 24 of this year's series. Uh, of course, uh, Scotty McLaughlin rules the roost, uh, leads by an un, un, unbeforeed sort of 573 points, I think it is, which is an extraordinary amount of his his break on Chas Mossot, who's the only Australian in the top four. It's uh, Scotty, Chas, then Fabian Coulthard and Shane Van Gisbergen. And interesting that both Scotty and Van Gisbergen both had their first race wins. They're both proven winners in the series, both men who many other drivers fear to have in their rear vision mirror, and both had their first wins in New Zealand. Shane Van Gisbergen that much earlier than Scotty, of course, um, he had his with the Stone Brothers car at Hamilton, I remember it vividly. And, of course, Scotty had his at Pukekohe in a GRM car. Um, fantastic that they did that, and I imagine it'll be another battle of New Zealand with Chaz up there sniping away, which all leads into this uh, interesting development for this weekend with the Holdens getting a bit of a leg up. Craig, do you understand some of these changes? You well know that I don't understand uh, all of them, but uh, the first one just completely bamboozled me because I couldn't see how it's going to change the uh, the rear. But of course, the ZB is a the ZB is a hatchback, and the high brake light, the high level brake light detail is being removed from the tailgate. It's staggering that that might be able to make a, uh, a huge difference on the way the air runs over the back of the car. Now, they're going to change the gurney uh, to the rear wing end plates along the trailing edge and extension to the front under tray. Uh, one of the critical things is you've got to try and keep the balance. So whatever you do at the back, you've got to try and match at the front um, so that you don't you know, unnecessarily unbalance the car um, or drastically unbalance the car. The changes are going to be tested out, I believe, at Pukekohe and uh, the drivers in the Holdens are hoping that this will be the, the you know, the, the magic cure that they need to make at least one championship within the championship still attainable, and that is the Perk Tech Endurance Cup. Interesting also, of course, that Pukekohe has one of the highest lap average speeds, so they'll certainly be getting a good run there ready for Bathurst. That, that's a, a bit of a, a bonus for them, that it's not like they're being uh, testing these at Winton or Queensland Raceway. It is a genuine high-speed track with high-speed corners, so that'll be a good test for those cars. Um, interesting week, uh, Craig, you've presented uh, in terms of a triple eight, well, we won't say bias, but a triple eight point of view because you've done the triple, have you, uh, in people from triple eight adding their point of view on their life and world of triple eight uh, this week. Yeah, this Tell week, us about some of the people involved. We're going to have a chat, and it's the start of the series we're doing on the show over the lead into uh, Bathurst, and that is to speak to some of the longest standing employees in various teams. And we start this week with Nuri Patterson. And Nuri started work in Triple Eight. Uh, around the same time as Craig Lowndes. So she's been with the team quite a long time. Her role 
is not only the executive assistant or personal assistant to Roland Dane, but she's also the financial controller and more recently has taken on the role of head of human resources with the team. So we we do a deep dive into the uh, workings of a team and uh, as you'll hear from Nuri, she's well experienced in motorsport uh, even before she arrived in Australia and worked at Triple Eight. We also speak with Jason Briggs and, and Tony, you knew Jason before Triple Eight was even around where he was working up there in Queensland with Briggs Motorsport. Indeed, yes, I have known Jason a long time. He's uh, a specialist in uh, sub-assembly, gearboxes, transaxles, all those types of things, and uh, certainly one of the diligent crew from what Briggs had built as a, a motorsport team that was highly desirable for uh, Ian Harrison, Derek Warwick, Roland Dane, Ian Buffley, to come and buy into the team. That There was a team cherry ripe to do the sort of things that they've done in the most recent years. Now, they had a couple of uh, hard ones to start with. They were making cars, and this is the days when Ludo was there, well and truly, uh, making cars that weren't quite going the distance. They had a lot of uh, early failures um, because they uh, were being made to a different formula, that being the lightness of, uh, of uh, two-litre cars. But anyway, uh, Jason was, along with uh, Mark Dutton and Jeremy Moore, original Briggs Motorsport employees and certainly uh, been very faithful to the company and a great man to... Uh, I'll be looking forward to hearing his story that you got from him. Yep. And the third one of the wide-ranging interviews uh, is a new uh, one to the Triple Eight uh, fold. Yeah, it, it bucks the trend of what we're actually doing over the next few weeks because rather than Triple Eight Race Engineering's oldest employee, we talk to their newest driver. And uh, if you haven't heard the name Dane Warren, it's probably because you don't follow e-racing or online racing. He is the official Triple Eight, uh, well, he's the official Red Bull Holden Racing Team driver for the upcoming E-Series, which is only a, a few weeks away now, two weeks in fact, uh, when it starts its run, which all rounds being broadcast on Fox Sports. So you're going to, if you are following supercars closely and supercars on TV, you are going to see the E-Series in its uh, you know, in its biggest role yet. So uh, we hear more about Dame Warren, his experience, not only... Online, but in real life as well. He's a fascinating guy to chat to, and I really enjoyed having that opportunity. And I hope people you enjoy listening to what uh, Dane has to say. So it's a, it's a big, big show this week, leading into what uh, I hope will be an interesting build-up to the 1000. Indeed. So after the break, we'll be starting off with Nuri Patterson, who is a Triple Eight. Wide-ranging employee covering a spectrum of things, so listen to her story. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. 
for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock from Truck Assist Techno Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. As we continue our chat with long-serving members of supercar teams, we're joined by Nuri Patterson, who is currently the Financial Director and HR Manager at 888 Race Engineering. It's great to be able to catch up with you, Nuri. Nice to talking to you, Greg. That's great. Thank you. Now, how did you come to work for Triple Eight? Uh, well, actually, I migrated with my husband and my daughter from the UK back in 2000, end of 2004. And uh, I just saw an advert on a newspaper, the old-fashioned newspaper, uh, requesting a financial controller for a racing team. Um, didn't know it was Roland or didn't know it was Supercars. I just applied for it and, um, and I got it. And here we are, 15 years later. So what sort of work were you doing previously as a financial controller? What sort of companies and, and businesses was it? In the UK? Yeah. Yes, I worked for Formula One. Um, I worked for Ferrari Formula One um, and also McLaren Formula One. So you were not adverse to going into a motor racing team then with that sort of experience? Oh, no, no. Um, I actually was very pleased when um, I met Roland. And I noticed that um, the team, it was a smallish team um, in comparison to Formula One, where, you know, especially McLaren, we start growing very fast. Um, and I just like to go back to the roots, get involved in everything. And a small team was just, that was just great. With a team like the Formula One teams and like Formula One itself, the business, how far removed were you from what they did on the weekends? Actually, um, uh, I'm a little bit of a nosy, a little bit of a nosy. I like, I like to get involved in everything. So um, I travel a couple of rounds with the team. However, mainly I just watch them. And believe me, every time I'm very involved, very, very um, invested on the fact that even if the drivers break a little mirror on the side, I have a word with them when they get back. <laughs> So, before you were involved in motor racing over in the UK, what involvement had you had with motor racing? Any at all? Um, uh, when I started uh, Formula One with Ferrari, that was uh, many, many, many months ago. I started as a junior account assistant and throughout my um, staying with uh, Ferrari and then McLaren, they actually assisted me to qualify as a, um, an accountant. Then after that, I did uh, my second degree and um, MBA that also was um, assisted by uh, McLaren before I migrated here to Australia. Were you watching Formula One or watching motor racing before you saw the job in the paper for uh, McLaren or Ferrari, I should say? Yeah, well, actually, I knew, uh, obviously, Formula One is something I've followed since um, I started my career because that's how I started back in, um, in the 90s. However, I've never heard of um, uh, supercars. So when I heard or I came from the interview with uh, Roland about um, supercars, I started investigating and I thought, oh, hold on a minute. I do actually seen them once or twice, 
just when Formula One raced in Australia, from the UK, we actually heard of um, uh, a supercar um, as a, as a, as a um, competition that was here in Australia, but not much than that. I actually started learning more on, uh, about supercars when I started working for Rowan, and he's a good teacher. <laughs> and you would have known a few of the same people having uh, moved around in those circles over in the UK as well. I actually, funny enough, um, I was very surprised to re-encounter Avian Burgess after I met him 20 years ago or more at, um, at uh, McLaren. So that was an interesting thing, uh, getting to uh, re-seeing him here, and especially when he worked for us. We actually shared some moments when you know, we used to um, work together with Edson Senna, and, um, and yes, that, that was very interesting. It made me feel very old. <laughs> what was your first role? It was financial accounting or, or at Triple Eight? Was it a financial controller position straight off? Yes, that, that was the first, the first role as financial controller, um, just taking over the finances uh, for Triple Eight because I, Roland had actually purchased uh, or, or got involved with Supercard towards the end of 2003. I came for the interview towards the end of 2004 uh, to start the season at uh, the same time as uh, Lancy did. We both started at the same time, um, beginning of 2005. And I just took it over. Uh, he wanted somebody who can actually uh, trust with all the accounting and all the management of um, account tax and his personal, um, his personal business as well. And so how has the world changed over the 15 years then? <laughs> I know a lot about everything now, um, and, uh, and and it actually was good um, with Roland. Um, the fact is, of after so many years, you get to know who you work for, and it makes your life a lot easier because you can preempt what he can ask you or what he needs with regards to the financials or anything anything that um, that um, you know is on the day to day basis of the business. So um, I think. Evolve considerably that form of freedom to make decisions financially um, and anything to do with the business. Obviously, bigger things um, will require Roland's approval, but um, um, he's given me quite a lot of freedom to, um, to manage the business while he's not here. And when did you start picking up the other aspects of the business, like the human resources? It's actually, you know, it is a bit of an... Um, it happens without you realizing it. All of a sudden, I turn around and I'm thinking, hold on a minute, I'm just doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing this. Uh, how did that happen? It's just, um, I think Rowan is very, very cheeky. He <laughs> just put it through there and then you don't realize it and you end up doing all these things. And then after a while, you think, well, I'm just doing them now. Well, not much I can do. One of the interesting aspects of your role and I loved how you said it to me a little bit earlier, is you now manage Roland's life. I can imagine actually, that's yes, an interesting one. <laughs> yes, I actually, uh, I actually do. I mean, um, you know, um, I, I, I deal with all his um, other businesses. I assist him with um, his household. I deal with everything um, to do with his private life. So he, doesn't, he can actually, doesn't have to worry about that. But at the same time, he can just concentrate on on the business without having to bother about little things like paying bills and, you know, deal with other um, members of the staff, not just here, but also his household or gardener or house 
keeper or you know any anything like that. So he he's very relaxed, very chill. He's that. Roland has a, a very well-known public image. Would you say the image we see of him on television is the image that you know of him as a boss? Um, well, to be honest, it's what you see is what you get. Yes, there is no... Um, the good thing that I stand about Roland or RD, whatever you want to call him, is that um, there is no guessing. They'll tell you what he needs. Uh, you don't have to double-guess what he expects from you. Um, and, and that's great because... To be honest, funny enough, RV is the same initials as my old boss, at McLaren, Ron Dennis, RV as well. Um, very similar on the sense that um, if, if you're getting uh, an instruction of what you what you what he needs, you just go on and do it without having to think, oh, maybe he means that, what he means. No, he's, he's the way he is. He works very hard. Uh, I have to admit, he's, and he expects a lot from you as well. However, he's also very fair, um, you know, that this. The, the, the typical thing of work hard, like how that of him. He's um he's very good at that, and he throws very good parties. Believe me, <laughs> he's um he's very. I guess he's actually very passionate about his team, and um you know he's opened his house for parties that I I and other members of the team have organized, and we have used his wine cellar. To be honest, you know this is um he has more than one hit on his wine cellar when we've been there and um, and he's very good about it. He doesn't um you know, he's generous in that sense. Mm. I think personally I, I haven't you know I haven't found it to be very different from what you see on TV. Um a lot of people find him very serious but yeah, but you need that when you're in business, I suppose. Um and then you just when you're out of the business, then you party. It's it's interesting because you got to the team right at the time that it's turned it's turned the corner and uh, you mentioned you started the same time as uh, Craig Lowndes and yeah. you have seen such a successful period for the business and I imagine you've seen the success in many different ways not just on the track but financially and, and through the development of all the other arms of how the business has grown. Yes, but you see, the, the, the other thing is that... Um, if I go back to my time for my parents, we, we also had a lot of success. And then there is a period that um, you for a very high competition from other teams. And you feel a bit like, oh, what happened there? And um, we here at um, Triple I think I think for what I can see from the staff members over the years, because, you know, being here 15 years, or this is my 15 year, is, um, you see a lot of people coming through. And, and we are all pretty much the same. Obviously, we want to win. We want to be successful. Um, but at the same time, we don't um, we don't celebrate very, 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 very high when we win, and then feel very, very miserable when we when we lose. You know, um, unless it's us. <laughs> That's different. Let's let's keep that aside. But um, we always, you know, we don't have big highs, big lows, and sometimes maybe people may confuse that with we don't. Care or, or when you sit on TV, like we don't, we, we, we like winning, but we don't have that um, extreme high and extreme low. So we always say, okay, what happened? Um, why didn't we do better? How can we improve? Um, you know, we do a lot of debriefs and a lot of talk and debriefs as well, and um, to see how we can improve it, even, even if we win. And, that, and that's the good thing, all these boys and girls. They are actually so passionate for what they do 
that it doesn't matter if they win. They don't sit back and go like, oh, well, we won. You know, I can just have a rest. Nobody rests. We just back to the board. How can we get things better? How can we do? You know what I mean? So it's not the, the, the fact that, okay, you're successful now. You can break for a little while. Um, it doesn't happen here. So I, I get the feeling from that when the team rolls back after a weekend, whether it's a win or whether it's a lose, the the attitude and the feeling around the office is is fairly balanced. Yes, yes, it is. Obviously, maybe not much of a smiling when we have a terrible weekend, but everybody is very balanced. Everybody goes, you know, business to see when what went wrong, when well, you know, what went well, how can we improve things. So it, it, it is quite balanced. It, it, you know, I haven't seen high. Um, the only exception, as I said, is Bathurst. When we win Bathurst, I even jump on my sofa up and down if we win Bathurst. <laughs> how has the business of supercars, or how has the business of Triple Eight changed over the 15 years, first of all, and then the the bigger business of, of um, supercars? When we started, we were smaller. Obviously, we, 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 we have also um, uh, moved from what we originally were. It was a little bit smaller. Um, we are in a bigger um, um, building, so we can do a little bit more things. And actually, what I've seen a lot of change is on the um, building of cars for other things. That is something that um, we have uh, grown quite a lot over the past 15 years. Um, uh, originally with two cars, I thought, I thought personally my third year was going to be just racing. Um, two cars, two drivers, great season, it's over, and then do the same the following year. But all of a sudden we start doing manufacturing parts for, um, for third parties, a lot of things by our parts. Um, our cars, uh, well, as you probably know, a lot of the cars that they are in, in the pit line at the moment, uh, some of them are actually built by us. Um, so I think, I think in a way, more than a racing team, we are both. We are um, more like an engineering. It's going to develop a little bit more engineering company with a, a racing team attached to it as well. So, um, so it, it's actually in that sense that that formula between, between uh, trying new things, uh, building a part, trying to improve the race cars at the same time, I think they, 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 they consolidate together. You know what I mean? Yep, and it probably makes the business far more substantial and, and solid in a financial sense. Well, well that, that's another, uh, another, another benefit of it. So um, we want to make sure that there is a job here for all the employees. I mean, all of us have a passion for racing, so I don't see AAA not doing racing and doing something else. However, it does complement the fact that there is enough work for such an um, extra um, uh, fabricator or machine shop or um, additional mechanics and things like that. So um, um, I think it's a good uh, security in a way. You can never say um, 100% um, a job is secure, but there is a little bit more security and a stable environment at AAA having those other additional business. Mm. The supercars business, how have you seen that changed? How much has it grown from your perspective? Um, 
from my uh, personally, from my perspective, you know, like uh, years ago, for me, cars and cars were just like beautiful, colorful cars going around and around. Um, but now, obviously, things are a little bit different. Um, with regard to supercars, I started because I didn't, I didn't know supercars as such before 2005. So, and now it's 2019. For me, I've seen a little bit of a change. I don't know if, if that's correct or not, but from my point of view, I think the rules and regulations have changed a little bit. I think there's a little bit, maybe a little bit less freedom of what you can do with the car. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but at the same time, there is more reliability in the car because I remember back in 2005, 2006, um, buses, cars will not finish races or big, big uh, you know, engines here and there or, or failure of this. I think the car has grown on reliability. Um, I would say has improved. Um, uh, I don't know if the reliability in the car could be the other team. It's also due to the fact that some of them also use our parts or our cars. However, we've seen a lot of improvement on that um, on that side of the car. But because of the reliability has grown also, competition has grown a lot tighter, as, as you know, for the past couple of years, you know. Um, there is a very little between first and tenth nowadays. Um, it, 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 and it's quite actually entertaining to see that. Obviously, we would love, we love to always um, be at the top. But the fact that um, um, there is that much reliability in the car, um, the, 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 also the calendar has also got a lot busier. And I'm not sure how to that is, but um, there is more rounds, or we used to call them rounds back in the day. Now it's individual races, but back in the day was the weekend round. Um, so I, I would say with regard to the staff members, um, there is more rounds. Not sure how um, that will come down with regards to work family balance, but I have noticed personally um, when I attended to the, to, to the event, now in comparison to 15 years ago, that there is a lot more family involved, family orientated, more, um, you know, it seems that it's grown on that sense. There is more people um, involved, more families with children and things like that. I don't know if it's because I've got a child and I notice these things more. But, um, but I've noticed that it's not becoming that type of um, uh, export that only men, um, you know, with the youths and things like that, that there is a lot of young ladies, a lot of women, a lot of children involved. So I think uh, Supercard has done a good job there. The big thing I imagine over the last 15 years is when you're doing the, uh, the payments, the numbers have got a lot bigger. Yes. Um, uh, I think it's because it has increased the number of attendance people. It's become a lot easier for them to attend, and it, it, one thing complements each other. Mm-hmm. Because if, if, if you if, if you go down on ratings, but then obviously the fact that um, yeah, things have changed in the past few years with boxes and things like that, obviously that also has given more exposure to supercars. But um, at the beginning as well, as I said, if you compare the numbers, the attendance, has grown a lot, um, uh, not by ground, but by day. Day mm. attendance is going, um, is going bigger. Oh, that's what I have personal not personally noticed. So I'm not sure if you will agree with that or not. <laughs> it, it, with the uh, the two parts of the business, uh, particularly on the financial side, you've got the <laughs> the incoming and the outgoing. Uh, 
And over the last three or four years, most teams have been saying how much harder it is to generate that sponsorship income and to bring that money in. And I, that's where I imagine you also would be seeing those sort of difficulties and having to you know, work with Roland and, and the rest of the team to manage... Well, um, yeah, but that obviously, you know, that is not up to, I suppose, up to supercars. It's just the financial, global financial um, uh, downfall that is going all over. But not just here, also Europe and other um, motor racing categories around the world are suffering the same with a sponsorship. That, that is the only thing that gives me nightmare. It's actually, um, you know, a sponsorship. That's something that, yes, is harder. Um, things got more to, do, to, to, to build, and that's what I, I was saying to you earlier. If, if I see the drivers that you know they break a mirror and go like, "Oh my God, how much that is gonna cost?" <laughs> so, so, but, but there is no. I, I'm not sure. I think Supercars is doing the best. I mean, from my point of view, obviously, I'm not in commercial department. I, I don't. I mean, I deal with the sponsors, but in a different different um, basis. But. I do think that Supercar is trying to get it more attractive for, um, in, in regards to advertising and sponsorship. However, it's quite difficult. There is no, there is, the, the level of the sponsorship you're right, is not the same now that it was like five, six, seven years ago. Mm. Not at all. It's changed um, dramatically. Mm. And another area that Triple Eight seemed to be very, very strong at. Uh, over the years is retention of staff and in your putting a HR hat on you know exactly how important retention of staff is and then the implication of high staff churn on the financial side of the business as well yeah well yeah we we, we've been lucky um but I, I think it's also the people we attract um some years ago some years ago, um, this is a little, a little sidetrack, but some years ago, um, we had uh, a couple of positions available for some, um, some mechanics. Um, we looked around and there were some mechanics from um, other different teams that they had left and they were looking for new opportunities. Um, I spoke to a couple of them about the possibilities here and um, I was told, no way, you guys work too hard. <laughs> so, that is the thing that we, we, you know, we, the people that come in to work for us, they want to work for us. They, they, they want that, um, uh, they give us a commitment, and not because we, 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 we ask them to, but it's because they want to join us. We've got a young um, engineer here that um, just came out of university last year that his dream was to work for us, work for AAA. So for people like that, as, as an HR person, you need to actually nurture uh, that person because it will give you 110%. Hmm. And what is fascinating is the fact that we hear a lot about one of your competitors, DJR Team Penske, and we hear a lot oh. about Roger Penske's Penske way, but it, it sounds like in your own way you've got a, a triple eight way that you've you've come up with. Yeah, I, I suppose we do. Um, I mean, we're not a big... We're only both about just under 50 people, between 45, 50. And um, it's very easy for me to, 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 to do my role as human resource manager because I've been here from nearly pretty much uh, the beginning. 
I'm, I'm like the mom to all of them. So, so uh, uh, when people, when I see somebody, uh, I know everyone. So when I see somebody who doesn't look right or look a little bit down, I'm just have a chat with them. I'm just have a chat about life, about things. And if there is anything we can do to assist, if anything, to that employee, we do. Because we know that they, they will give us also um, 110% of their skills and their commitment. So we have to work both ways. I do believe that if you nurture your staff, they will give you a hundredfold. And that's really important for us um, mm. to make sure that. And maybe that's why our turnover is not that high, because once you, you, you feel part of a family, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but you do feel like a bit of a family around here. Well, Nuri, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you and we certainly are looking forward to seeing how the team fares throughout, well, particularly Bathurst this year with the uh, Endurance Cup being a major focus for the team now. Oh, that would be great. I mean, uh, Bathurst is uh, actually my favourite um, and uh, I, I, I want to jump up and down the sofa again this year if I can. Well, we certainly wish you all the best for that. And thanks very much for your time today talking to us on Inside Supercars. Not a problem. Thanks, Greg. I'll see you soon. After the break, it's Jason Briggs from Triple Eight telling us of the li- his life in the land of Holdens. Well, first of all, Fords and then Holdens in, under the care of Roland Dane and the Triple Eight team. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, rest of the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Will Brown, co-driver of the Penrite Racing number 99 car for Anton Di Pasquale. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Jason Bridges from Red Bull Holden Racing Team, Triple Eight, of course, and you are the one of the long-standing members of the team, having been there before it was actually Triple Eight. Yeah, that's right. Um, that takes you back quite a while now, um, 15 or 16 years ago now. So, uh, yeah, it's been a long journey. And uh, we were talking about the people that had stayed there because for a long time, Triple Eight had had such a stable crew working on their cars and it's only been the last maybe five years that 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 churn has really started to happen at this team yeah that's i guess i can't really explain why that is i mean yeah we did have a a stable crew for a a long long time from when we first took over from the when roland first bought the team off uh john briggs uh there was a quite a big transformation in um in the way we went about racing the way we went about um you know even around the workshop and and uh, the way we design stuff, and it, it was a big change, and that and that sort of carried through till now, with with some slight changes here and there, and and as you say, some of the last few years, uh, there's a bit a bit of a turnover with personnel. Um, so yeah, it's it's been good. Yeah, you know, it's all it's all been positive. What was your first introduction to motorsport? Where did you get the bug? I my background with motorsport is uh, comes from dirt bike racing, motocross, and enduro and stuff like that. And um, I kind of fell into this job uh, working for John Briggs through um, through a, a guy that I was working working with or had worked with in the past. Um, 
he asked me if I wanted to come and um, and start work with them. And uh, yeah, I went and started there with John Briggs, and that kind of uh, filled a, a bit of a void where I never had enough time then to do sort of dirt bike racing that sort of stuff. So I guess the the competitive nature of V8s and going away racing and that sort of uh, took over, if you know what I mean, uh, so to speak. It filled a bit of a hole and uh, it was a bit of a transformation, yeah. So you were a motorcycle mechanic or a motor mechanic before you started in the in with Briggs? No, no, I'm a, a, a sheet and metal worker, fabricator by trade. Um, yeah, it's the, my uh, dirt bike racing, that was just a, a hobby. You know, I'm pretty passionate about it at the time, so... Well, Triple Eight's a team that does like their bikes, including the owner. Yeah, that that is true. Yep, yeah. yeah, he, he likes to stick to the road, though. Not doesn't go off road very much, but um, there definitely is. I think if you went around all of the people and spoke to them, there's there's some sort of background of whether it's bikes or cars, and everyone has an interest, you know, in in motor racing of some sort, which is, I guess, why they're all there. So if you're a fabricator, back in 16 years ago, there was a lot of metal on the cars back then by comparison. So was that the first role in doing fabrication work, body parts and, and the like, or did you go straight in into a more mechanical uh, turning spanners on the car role? No, no, always been a fabricator there for the team for, for a long time, still am. Um, I run the, run the fab shop there now, so a lot less on the tools, but always um, building the chassis and all the parts that go on, always fabricating. Spinning spanners is only something that I do on the weekends as a, as a third or fourth mechanic in the team on race weekends, and, and I really enjoy that as well. That's a, that's a good change to get away from the workshop and do that. So in this time, how has the role changed, and how many has it been different roles, or has it just been a natural progression up through the lines? Different roles. I guess you could say it's a natural progression, uh, probably because I've been there for so long. I... You know, I started off as a, you know, a fabricator working under somebody else and, and then at the racetrack, a, you know, a bit of a gopher, I suppose, and uh, I worked my way up to um, being crew chief um, up until a couple of years ago uh, for the team at the racetrack and more of a management, I guess, role back at the workshop as well. Um, production manager now and also run the run the fabrication shop but it's but it's always been good to be involved in the engineering uh, progression of the team you know all, all different ideas I, I got my hands you know, always got my hands in that sort of stuff and get to put some ideas forward and and people come and ask me for ideas which is refreshing and you've been involved with you know building some what are now iconic cars of australian motorsport and <laughs> of course very successful cars as well yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, people, I do get asked questions questions a lot about different chassis and what they're up to now. And, and to be honest, I, I don't have a clue. Um, you know, when when we were churning them out, building the to go on the racetrack, you know, as as proud I was to see them become race cars and successful race cars, I ne- never really took, you know, kept track of where they ended up. Certain members of the team would be able to tell you which chassis won what race in what year. No problem at all, but that's not me. <laughs> you leave that for Aaron Noonan. <laughs> you, do you know how many race cars you've built over this time? Yeah, so when I started there, we I finished off what they called chassis number four. Um, so I finished that one there, and we're up to number... We just finished building number 54 now. So 50-odd chassis, yeah. Every time you build a chassis, there's always that one thing... 
that when you get to the track or what the driver says something to you when he's getting his seat fitted, oh, if this was just a bit different, every single car, even though they might be the same generation, they might be a ZB right now, they both have just got that little bit of difference just from a comment, isn't it? Exactly right. You you can you could pull the cars apart and measure them and, and find they'll be exactly the same. But for some reason, uh, it escapes it escapes me why. But they drivers do say they feel different, and you know, every car you jump into has a different feel for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't know about that. Have you have you had a car that you've finished and been involved with the finished product, and you've gone, we've nailed it this time. Or is there always that one little thing that you would have liked to do differently? No, the, the I guess what I prided myself on, and and the guys that were working for me, and still still there now, every everything is the same. We we build it properly. We build it. If there is a problem during, we we fix it before it it comes out the doors. There's nothing that comes out the door, and we think, oh, that wasn't quite right. It's always fixed, and it's always spot on when it leaves. With the increase of computer-aided machinery and computer-aided design, how has that changed fabrication of a race car? It's made it uh, a lot quicker and a lot more precise, I guess you could say. Um, For instance, back in the old days, we used to hand-cut all the tubes for the roll cage and cut by hand with uh, paper templates and stuff like that. Nowadays, it's all... um, uh, laser cut tubes and they're all exactly the same and they all fit perfectly so it makes it quicker and easier Are uh, you at the stage where you're robot welding or are you still hand welding? No, no, we still hand weld everything, yeah, there's robot welding, we don't have enough of a turnover of production of parts to warrant that sort of stuff, you know if we we're making 100 of this part and you know 150 of that part but we don't, we don't do those, those numbers so it's not really uh, it wouldn't be cost effective to go down that line. Motor racing is a lot of travel. It's a long, long hours at the workshop when things aren't right and even sometimes when they are because of turnaround times. How have you been able to stay in the game for that long? You've got to have a passion for it, I think. Uh, everyone there, everyone in the team, I guess the same with all teams up and down pit lane, they're, they're there for a reason because they like the competition. You know what I mean? They like being involved in the, in the team, in the sport, and you just put your head down and get it done. What has been your greatest moment in being involved with the team? Um, pick any one of the Bathurst wins, I guess. You know, uh, winning a championship and teams championships is very, very rewarding, obviously. But after a long, hard slog down at the mountain over four days or whatever, and 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 you know, fixing cars that have hit the fence throughout the week and lead up to the race and overcoming all that stuff and then uh, seeing it cross the line first, there's no better feeling. How do you stop yourself from getting burnt out? How do you get away from motor racing? Because it, it becomes all-consuming. It does become all-consuming, but um, you know, family and kids sort, soon sort that out. You, you soon find a, a, a balance. It is tough uh, on families, uh, I guess, uh, you could say that about a lot of people right up and down pit lane, but um, you, you find a balance to, to make it work. What about in the wider picture outside your garage? What have you thought about the changes in supercars over this 16 years? Um, it has been definitely a lot of changes, I think. To, to put it down to one thing, the professionalism has raised throughout throughout the the whole pit lane you know um i guess 
when I first started, there was probably two or three teams that were sort of up there and the rest were sort of down the back and didn't really have a shot, I suppose. With the, with the way the sport, uh, the categories progressed, every team now pretty much has a shot at winning, the, winning a race. You know, so I guess that's the biggest noticeable thing. Yeah. Does it make it more challenging or more enjoyable when you win in these tighter contests? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, especially nowadays when wins haven't been coming our way <laughs> as much as we're used to. Uh, when you get one, it's, it is definitely more rewarding, yeah. Well, Jason, great to catch up with you and look forward to uh, seeing how the team progresses right throughout the rest of 2019. Thank you very much. After the break, we'll be with Dave Warren, the E-Series driver for Triple Eight and for Red Bull Holden Racing Team, telling us of how he's going to compete in the series. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as yeah, the cars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back, and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Freeway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Tony Delberto from Shell V Power Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Dane Warren joins us on the line and Dane Warren is the official Red Bull Holden Racing Team E-Series driver for 2019. Dane, congratulations on the call up with the team. Yeah, thanks for that. Been really good so far. Just such a crazy experience. I never thought I'd get myself into after playing games for such a long time. Just really such a surreal experience. So, when did you start gaming? What was the first console or arcade game you played? Um, well, probably spans back right to my early childhood, where my dad would uh, play a bit of PlayStation One himself. Who just Naturally got myself into it with um, Grand Turismo, Crash Bandicoot, and um, some of the early Tokyo games. So um, right from my early childhood, I was just really um, sort of surrounded by it and just naturally got the interest through there. Um, then spent onto the computer, basically, and just started getting fascinated with all the things that I had, uh, games, and just basically grew my interest from there. What got you into online sim racing? I distinctly remember one day while we were down at Phillip Island that they had a couple of simulators set up with, well, ironically set up with iRacing. So um, just watching those and it just looked so realistic and sort of caught my imagination. And from then I just all over YouTube watching gameplay and all that, which eventually led to me going out buying a G27. Uh, just a base level simulator wheel and having a go for myself. You were going to the car, you were going to the supercars or going to races already following. Yeah. And uh, this was a way that you could uh, reenact what you were seeing. Yeah, exactly. It was a way to, um, well, it still is a way to get into a, you know, high level, high performance vehicle such as a supercar in your own home without spending, you know, millions of dollars. 
So it's really good. So had you done any real-life racing before, or was it hobby carts and that sort of thing that you might have uh, turned your hand at? Yeah, well, at the moment we are still currently doing karting. Obviously we compete a bit at the state and national level. And early this year I had a, a test drive in a Formula 4, which was quite quite an experience in itself. I managed to get that from competing at the virtual sim racing tournament here at, here in Melbourne. So. Yeah, not so much experience in in uh, cars itself, but definitely karting we're quite deep into. What age did you start karting? I want to say around 16 or 17, so it, actually not that long ago. We've only been around a couple of years in it. So the big question is, I know that uh, Red Bull Racing normally like to have successful people join their team, so how many <laughs> online sim racing titles have you won? Well, a blanket number I'd... So I'd like to say around six. So it was three online racing supercars official championships, two Oceanic Sim Racing supercars championships, a AOSC, which is Australian Online Supercars Championship, and a Oceanic Endurance Championship. Mm-hmm. So uh, quite a few. Hopefully we <laughs> get a couple more in the future, but we'll we'll get there. When did Red Bull HRT contact you about being the team's rep in this year's Supercar E-Series? Yeah, um, it was a couple of weeks after the driver performance test, which is basically just a test to determine how quick you are, basically. So we did that, waited a couple of weeks, and I got contacted by one of the media managers, um, James. Basically just went from there. We just planned a couple of things and ended up in the team, which is just really crazy. This year's series, they have stepped it up a notch, haven't they, with the coverage that they're going to be giving it and having you guys all aligned with, with the 24 cars that are on the grid in real life. Yeah, it's definitely going to be quite insane. Um, the event itself, the the live round, I've, I've never been to anything like it myself. So competing on a stage against, I think, 11 of the, of the other best, Sim races in the country really is going to be just an unbelievable experience. For people who might be watching sim racing for the first time, particularly because it is going to be on Fox Sports, are you going to have the same livery on your sim car as what we see on the the Red Bull Holden Racing Team's cars at the track? I imagine so. We haven't had much discussion about that, but I can only imagine it's going to be very similar to the real-life cars, just so it isn't overly confusing or misleading. How much interaction have you had in with the team since since the announcement and since the deal was done? They've been quite welcoming for me really. Um the Sydney race well the the ride day was really good to get in there and sort of meet everyone. I felt really welcomed um from that moment. Yeah, it was just team's been really helpful. Just basically whatever I need, just let us know and we'll get to it. Which is really good. What does being part of the team actually mean? Well, obviously, again, you get quite a lot of support behind you. You know, straight from the straight from the get though, they were handing me merchandise, you know, making sure I was able to represent the team uh, competently, generally willing to help me out and support me through this event. You mentioned the ride day there. What was that experience like? Uh, I think it was the gears took you for uh, yep. a couple of laps. Yep. Oh, I was like nothing I've ever been before. Even being karting, it was just a completely different experience. The way those cars grip up and sort of lunge around and stop on a dime, it's really quite impressive. Um, and especially to be able to compare the differences and the similarities between 
those cars and the ones we have in game were just quite an experience. Yours handles a bit better in game. In game, in gameplay. Yeah. Well, definitely don't have the 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 worry about sending it into a fence at 200k. So yeah, <laughs> I'd say it does. Uh, the gears, of course, he is well known for sim racing, and uh, he gets on with drivers from all around the world. Now, Alex Premer and a few of the uh, Alex's mates from the states. Have you ever been invited to race with uh, those people? Online? Well, I've raced against Chain quite a bit just in general around the place, but I haven't really been uh, involved as per se. I've always been sort of tied up in my own team while doing those events, so unfortunately not. Uh, Maybe sometime in the future we could get together and, you know, maybe do a Bathurst 1000 or something. Yeah, I know they've been doing some uh, some stuff with hot laps of the uh, uh, Nürburgring and oh, yeah. uh, trying to beat each other's times. Yeah. yeah. Interestingly, you, you mentioned this year's E-Series Championship is, is going to be different and the live events certainly is one of those differences. Where do you think when you're normally racing by yourself in the in the lounge room or in the games room, where yep. do you think it's going to be a, a big difference being on the stage with the other competitors? Oh, obviously, like you said, it's a completely different environment. So it might just be a game, but it, it, you still need to adapt to the to the different environment, the different you know seats, uh, you know equipment and all that. So it's it's a lot more of a leap that a lot of people might assume. But even just the prestige of the event like it really is sort of nothing like just sitting at home and playing a game it's sort of a next level so it'll be quite different for me going into it i imagine that over the years uh, particularly with uh, broadband and trying to race online that you would have experienced a few differences in how the games perform and how even your system performs yes. with different broadband can you uh, can you give us an idea of how the sim racing has changed even over the last three or four years? Yeah, well, uh, going off iRacing, which, you know, by by my experience is by far the best online racing you can get. Um, Obviously, it varies a bit between games. But um, I used to run, well, we used to have an old ADSL2 connection. And while it wasn't the fastest thing around, you could race other cars and the game would be you know, pretty much run perfect. Um, uh, now that we've upgraded to, I think, cable or something, it's, you know, next to flawless, but um, there's quite a bit of leniency from what kind of connection you have. And um, for most cases, iRacing uh, works just about perfectly. So for someone who's wanting to start out in um, in sim racing, they don't have to go for all the bells and whistles straight up. They can work their way up to it, you think? No, absolutely. Um, you know, the option the options are there. If you do a bit of research, obviously you've got, uh, in terms of internet, it's just uh, whatever you have at your house, really. There's no stress on upgrading it. Um, and even in terms of equipment, you can start at the base level. Like, um, even myself at the moment, I'm currently still on my old Logitech G29 and have been for most of my career really just on the base level stuff so there's little excuse for even performing well because i just haven't had any issues myself Mm -hmm. um obviously i've won the couple championships and that on the base level gear so it all does the job Mm -hmm. what do you reckon your kit's worth 
<laughs> I was thinking at this before. Um, it's not much. I'd say five hundred dollars a max, not including my computer in that. Maybe or closer to say fifteen hundred with the computer in that. So around the same price as your uh, driving suit and helmet cost for karting. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's realistic value. Yeah. Do, do you see the Supercars E-Series, do you see that momentum gaining and it, it potentially going to like football is overseas? And I'm sure you're aware where, um, you know, some of these English and European clubs, their yep. e-sportsman is embedded into the club. Yeah, well, I remember some talks a while ago just on social media and that, but some of the professional F1 e-sports drivers were being included in the teams for simulator development. I'm not sure what their particular role in that is, but you know, even even to sort of suppose test developments in the car and that through the simulator, it it, it gains the teams quite a bit of um, information. So um, we'll see. Obviously, I wouldn't be complaining if I became a simulator test driver for a supercars team, especially Triple Eight, but. Uh, we'll see. I think there's definitely an avenue for it. Obviously, uh, the big difference between the esportsmen and the uh, the regular ones, particularly in football, is uh, there's probably uh, three or four zeros, maybe five or six <laughs> actually, thinking about it now, missing up yeah. the end of the paycheck. What about real life? Uh, you're studying to be a mechanical engineer. Yeah, that's it. Um, just started studying at RMIT for mechanical engineering a couple of months ago, actually. It's really good, really enjoying it, so hoping to carry that on into the Bachelor of Automotive Engineering. And um, hopefully the main end goal is to get into a supercars team as a as an engineer and um, sort of f- fulfill my dream of being in motorsport. Obviously, it's a bit hard to get through the through into the driving side. So I thought, why not the next best thing and become an engineer? Well, Dane, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you here on the show and uh, look forward to seeing how the E-Series gets underway for this season. It should be a very interesting one, I'm sure, and we wish you all the best. Thanks for that. Thanks for having me, Craig. It was really good. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. It's a final thoughts on this pre-Pukakoe round. It's a fascinating uh, weekend to look in because there are three of the top four competitors in the point score the New Zealanders. Not all of the New Zealanders, because we do have Richie Stanaway back in the series, as well as, of course, Andre Hargartner. So five of the 24 are New Zealanders, and uh, it's going to be a terrific round to uh, sit back and watch and see not only how the Commodores do, how the Mustangs fare against them. I'm sure you agree there, Craig. Yeah, I am. It, it, it's almost with the championship where it's at almost a nothing round, it's certainly the battle of the five Kiwis, but it's everyone, to me, feels like they're in a holding pattern to get to Bathurst and into the Enduro Cup where basically everyone starts again at zero. It's the one championship that's really still up for grabs. Indeed, and my final thought would revolve around that very thing, that for the first time in a long time, if ever, the competitors are going to Bathurst Having not run as an enduro pairing, uh, either at uh, Queensland Raceway or Sandown or Phillip Island, bang, straight into Bathurst. So it's going to be fascinating for all to us to uh, enjoy that. But to start off with, let's uh, get ready for go and watch the competitors over the Pukekohe round. So thanks it's for all from this week on Inside Supercars. 
Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.